if there's anybody that is in procurement that is listening to this podcast, I will tell you that your last interview test basically is how well you negotiate for yourself. So I've always thought about that. And I've always thought if I don't negotiate and if I don't negotiate hard for myself, how am I going to negotiate for the company? And they want to know, uh, whoever's hiring me wants to know that I'm going to go hard and uh, you know I'm going to stick to my guns. Welcome to Tech Careers and Money Talk. What if you could hang out with experienced tech industry executives, ask them about career growth, equity compensation, investing, financial strategies, and more. Then take an insight or two to guide your own career and lifestyle. Each week on the show, Christopher Nelson shares an in-depth look at how to navigate tech careers and hyper-growth companies, select the right companies to work for, earn equity, and build a passive income portfolio. Christopher is an author, tech exec, and principal and co-founder of Wealthward Capital. His goal is to give you the information you need to grow your career, build wealth, and make an impact. Now, here's Christopher. Hello, welcome to Tech Careers and Money Talk, episode number seven. I'm your host, Christopher Nelson. I've been in the tech industry for 20 plus years. And after climbing my way to the C-suite, working for three companies that have been through IPO, and investing my way to financial independence, I'm here to share with you everything that I've learned and introduce you to people along the way that can help you out. Today, I'm excited to share the career journey of Rendy Miller. Rendy Miller has had a non-traditional career in tech, meaning that she hasn't worked for a role that requires hard technology skills. She is a procurement expert. Procurement is something that is critical for every single business, and she's built her expertise in working for technology companies and the equity that comes along with it. And I have to say, Rindy's a maverick. I'm excited to share with you what she's done and how she can help you with all the lessons that she's learned. Let's talk to Rindy right now. I am so excited today to introduce you to Rindy Miller. Rindy Miller is the Vice President of Procurement at Qualtrics. And Qualtrics is an analytics company. And Rindy, I call her the procurement maverick. She has built an amazing career in technology, but it's not what many people think. Many people think of tech and they think, okay, you're an engineer, you're a coder. And it's like, no, it's, this is procurement. This is a incredibly important function in any type of business, but you have done this throughout your career in technology. So welcome, Randy Miller. Thanks, Christopher. It's so great to be here with you. Thanks so much. So I always love to start with the origin story. Where did you get started? And, you know, what was it like, you know, coming out of school and, and getting started in tech for you? Well, I actually didn't come right out of school and get started. So, uh, so that's, that's a big difference between me and, and most people that are starting into their career now. I had done a lot of different things prior to uh, getting into tech. So I had a lot of jobs, didn't really have a, a, a real career. I um, was an entrepreneur and had my own business for a while. So uh, I actually found myself starting into tech because I was going through a divorce. And um, so I started into tech in like my mid thirties. And uh, it was kind of funny because because when I was in elementary school, I skipped a grade. And when I got to tech, I was not necessarily the youngest, like I always was in school after, mm. after skipping ahead. But I certainly felt like 
I was the least experienced. I was the least educated. So I, I had this real feeling of intimidation and inadequacy for a long time. But it was such a, a great experience to get into tech at that that stage in my life. And mm. I know it was meant for a reason. And you know, I didn't realize at the time, but I looked back and thought, oh, I can apply this, um, you know, this learning that I had from this job or, or this experience kind of over those years of the multiple jobs and things that, that I had had, but I was able to apply it into this new world that I was in. And those feelings of inadequacy and intimidation, they started to fade away. I started realizing, I, I think I can do what everybody else is doing here. So it was not so bad. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's important. And this is where I think it's important that we all need to understand that many of us get started in our careers in ways that's not the traditional, right? I know mm -hmm. for myself, I didn't go immediately into tech. I didn't finish college right away. I decided to become a restaurateur for a while. And that's, I think, something yeah. that you and I have in common and, and shared about is yes. that we got started in tech later. I think that worked in our favor because of the fact that we were more mature and in mature, you know, emotionally, when you see people working so fast and you see the pace of tech, I think having that emotional maturity, having some more life experience can sometimes be a great aid. I would agree 100%. Uh, yeah, you you are bringing where new college grads, which I think is really, really important, and I'm all for it, they're bringing a lot of book smarts into the workplace, but we definitely brought a lot of life experience into uh, the workplace. Yeah, and I think that combination, that diversity of, of experience and knowledge, I think is, is really so important. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you got a late start. How did you actually then find your way to procurement? Well, I, I mentioned I was going through a divorce at the time. I had three kids. I was a single mom. And I took a job as an executive assistant for the VP of materials at a manufacturing company. And um, I thought, okay, I'm organized. I can, I can do this. Well, I quickly realized I do not want somebody else to take care of. I had mm. my three kids I, I had, and, and hats off <clears throat> and all the props to EAs because it's a hard job yeah. and uh, so many so many people do it so flawlessly. Yes. But it really wasn't for me. There was a buyer role that came up in indirect uh, procurement there at the company I was working for and I quickly said, I'll, I'll do that, I'll take it. And so I started at the very, very bottom of the procurement food chain or the procurement ladder and uh, just started learning, learning the very basics of being a buyer. And, uh, you know, that was actually, this is going to date me, but that was back in the days where we were actually signing paper POs and <laughs> printing them. So yeah, it was, uh, I, I got a, I got a lot of a very foundational start at that time. But what drew me to procurement over time and as I made my way up, you know, in the organization is I got this insight into a lot of different things that were going on at the company. So mm. I got to see, you know, the I got exposure to the travel team. I got exposure to marketing and I got exposure to, to logistics. Yeah. So, and that, that is what has kept me really interested in procurement is knowing about what's going on in the entire company. I may not know it. I may not be an expertise in every area of the business, but I know a little bit about everything that's going on across the board at the, at the company. And let's take a moment. Let's define. I mean, many people, you know, again, their vision of technology company is 
you know, code, test, deploy, customer service, sales. What What is procurement? Yeah, procurement, it used to be when I started, we were kind of like the spend police and, uh, you know, no one really wanted to to work with with procurement because I think everyone felt like you were going to be made to take the select the cheapest vendor, you know, go for price at um, any cost to quality. And today I would describe it more as like a strategic partner to the business. And, uh, you know, I think very much so like we wouldn't do anything or make decisions without our finance partners uh, in the business. I think procurement is now starting to come alongside and really be that day-to-day business partner uh, that helps organizations know solve problems. We're we're problem solvers. So you know what are what are you why are you trying to buy something? What is really the problem that you're trying to solve here? And so then we are helping organizations within the business to go out find the goods, the services, the technology, whatever it might be to solve their problems and then to make those purchases at the best quality at the best price. So not just let's just go after the cheapest and and find that. So, you know, I it's we're really we're really helping the entire company like manage the spend, manage our money and uh, get the most quality suppliers uh, to support the business. Well, it, it's true. And I think, you know, one of the things that's important for, for me, the podcast, the mission here is to get technology employees thinking like shareholders. And the mm-hmm. more that we can understand that roles like yours that help make and I think to your point, it's you're a strategic partner helping find other strategic partners and creating exactly. good, healthy relationships that can protect margins, that can, you know, and I, I think back to, you know, when, when you and I worked together, the way that I saw mm-hmm. you strategically think about how we want to manage spend over time that is then, you know, protecting and locking in margin protection that's going to then return great returns for shareholders. This is something I think many people like we all need to get exposed to and and understand this because it's so important that and it's challenging. I know it at VC backed companies where it's grow at all costs. And I know that Mm -hmm. engineers and, and people love their different toys and love the toys of the moment. However, there gets to be a point when we have to lock in more, you know, fiscal rigor to be able to to grow and there's that balance between innovation and, and running a business and your role is literally at the heart of that. Yeah, 100%. And I think you said something really key in there too, Christopher, and that is kind of the long-term vision mm. and the strategic you know, um, plan going forward. Um, it, we're not just trying to solve for problems right now today, but what are we, how are we scaling for the future? And I think that's something that procurement is really really got their eyes on in terms of how to support the business and how to best partner with the business as well. So so now that we've given people an understanding of procurement, how strategic and important it is to, to scaling technology mm-hmm. companies, let's go back to your story. So you okay. just started out, you know, you're at this large uh, hardware manufacturing company, you're getting started. Now your career starts to get some traction and all of a sudden you're moving from an individual contributor to a manager like walk us through what was that like for you because you know we we all get to that point where i can either go deeper and try and and grow my skills there or i can actually start leading others 
it was actually harder than I thought. I, I'm a nice person, you know, I've got three kids, I know how to manage people, uh, you know, clearly. So I just thought this was going to be a really easy shift. And I was excited about it. I'm going to have a team, I'm gonna lead my team. And, and um, what I found was hard is First of all, when I started managing people, I was also, I still had my day job. So now I kind of had two jobs right. and uh, I didn't realize it was quite going to be like that, that this was going to be a whole other job. And I also didn't realize how much I had to pour into those people and really, you know, kind of not, I don't want to say coddle. That was the word I was going to use. I, I wasn't coddling them, you know, along, but really making sure that they're okay, getting to know yeah. them, understanding, you know, what's going on in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you almost, you don't just become a manager, you sometimes become a counselor yes. and an advisor and things like that. So those were all things that I had not expected out of managing people and very naively uh, didn't expect that. The other thing that I, that I found was difficult was making good decisions when it comes to hiring and, uh, you know, mm. taking the time to find the right candidate. My first hire, I was so desperate to, to get somebody on my team and get some help that I kind of almost took the first, first thing that came along. And, <laughs> and when you're hiring people, you're, it's kind of like picking out a, a partner, maybe a life partner, you know, you're <laughs> going to be in this for a while together. And That's so you right. want to be a little selective. And, um, I didn't realize how hard and how critical those decisions would be. It really is. I think the shift to management, I always think about this is, is that one of the most fundamental things is helping people manage their career. And as part of that, there is extra because careers involve life. And, you know, we mm -hmm. talk about balance, work-life balance and these extremes. The reality is it's really integrated. Like I'm going to come yes. to work. And if I had to go get my son cracked his head and got stitches, I'm going to be in a mood or I'm going to be struggling with them some things. And we're, we may have to have a conversation about that. And that's very, very real. Very, yeah. very real. Yeah, definitely. So, so then you were staying at this hardware manufacturing company for a number of years. You, you built some skills. I know that you got the opportunity to then see procurement in a lot of different areas at what point did you get, you know, and I've seen this pattern with, with other people on the show where they get to a point where they've been established at a larger company and now they want to go to a company that is pre-IPO or maybe has just gone through an IPO and they really want to scale it. When did you get to this point where I need to find something else or, or were you at that point? I was at that point, you know, I knew that I had, had kind of, I felt like nothing I could do was getting me and the advancement that I wanted. I mentioned that I was kind of at the bottom of the ladder. And even though right. I had, you know, progressed from, you know, being in technical purchasing and being a buyer to, you know, what we call in manufacturing commodity management, you know, I, I could never get to the senior level. And uh, I still always felt like everybody was always ahead of me and I was always going to be at the back of the line. And even even as much as I would ask my manager, you know, what is it? What is it that I need to do? So, you know, I'm, I'm managing the exact same portfolio as, you know, other, other folks on the team are, but yet mm. they are, they're in a senior position. Why, what is it that I can do to get there? And there was never anything really tangible that they could give me. I asked 
I'm going to go back to school. Should I, you know, I'm going to get my degree, which I did. And that still did not, that was not the propelling thing to, to get me to that next level. So when the opportunity came to, to join Splunk, I really jumped at the, at the opportunity. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And, uh, <laughs> You know, I thought I've never, I've never started anything from the, from the ground up, mm. you know, do I want to do this? But never once in that, in that process, did I think I can't do this. I shouldn't, I shouldn't pursue this opportunity. So it wasn't until after I got there that I kind of started going, oh boy, what have I gotten myself into? But- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all do that. But the one thing yeah. I know that you know, you did at one point you had your own business. So you had this entrepreneurial yes. spirit, which yes. entrepreneurs, and I know I, I got to that later in life, but my wife is, is an entrepreneur and they just do, they have the spirit of like, I can do that. Like I am not going to fail in there. There's an optimism. And then there's also, I think there is a rationalism there too of, okay, how do I figure this out? How do I get this done? And it sounds like those were some of the two key things that when you decided to take the Splunk role, which was literally you walked in the door and it was you. Yes, <laughs> and, it was and, just me. And it was you and it was, there was a, 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 you know, a cat farm and you had to go herd those kitty cats because it was- yes. It was, I remember those days, it was rough. Yeah, yes. It was rough, but it was fun. It was yeah. really fun. And, uh, you know, what made it fun was, you know, everybody was everybody was trying to herd those cats. Yes. And, uh, you know, in, in one form or fashion. <laughs> and we were all in it together. And, uh, you know, we were all trying new things and failing sometimes and going, yeah. okay, let me, let yes. me try something else, you know? And, uh, you know, I think that was, that was the beauty of, of being at a company that was that size. Uh, I also loved knowing everybody and kind of growing with the company, you know, not coming in and being, you know, one person amongst, you know, the vast sea of people, but you, you saw the, you saw the sea grow, you know, from this little puddle to, uh, the ocean that, that Splunk was that they are today. It was, yeah, it, it was, I think it was a definitive moment for a lot of people's careers, including my mm -hmm. own, where, where we were just this small walk around the building, knowing everybody, understanding what we were trying to accomplish, being aligned to a goal, which was not just getting public, it was actually getting to a billion dollars in revenue. Like we were all yes. laser focused on that. Yes. And, yeah. and you built something. I mean, you literally came in and there was nothing and you built something that is now a department in a multi-billion dollar year company. And yeah. it's pretty exciting. It is exciting because I always encourage people to think about when they go to work for companies like that, I say, like your fingerprints are on the company, mm -hmm. like your policies and things that you wrote are still there. People that you hired still there. And it's, it's a really unique opportunity. And so then you put in four years, you built this. And then I had to imagine, you know, that it had to be hard to, to leave that once you built it. But what was, walk us through like, at, at what point did you realize, okay, I've, I've either built enough or again, was there another ceiling there that you felt I got, I have to go somewhere else to move on, to move up? That's exactly it. There was a little feeling of, I think I've gotten as far as I can go here. And, uh, you know, there was, 
leadership always changes and you know you and i were fortunate to to work with you know mostly all the same leaders but i knew that was coming and i knew that i was probably going to stay in the same same role the same position i had probably i was at a senior director role and i was probably not going to be promoted to a vp anytime soon right so and i knew that that was the next step in my career and that was that was something that I, I really wanted to get there. I wanted, that's what I was, you know, working towards and, uh, you know, what, what my goal was. And so there were a few opportunities that presented themselves and I just, I didn't feel right about them and I didn't feel like it was the right time. And um, I am a person that feels like when you know, you know. And yeah. uh, when Zendesk called me uh, and presented the opportunity to me, uh, and I learned a little bit about the company, about the role, about the team that I would be taking over. I knew that it was the right time for me. I also knew that my team that I had established, that I had hired every single one of them, that they were in a really good spot mm. and they were going to be okay as I as I walked away. Because I have a, I have a, an extreme sense of loyalty to people. Yes. And um, so, you know, not just to my team, but to my manager there as well, who, you know, has become a dear friend. So that sense of loyalty held me back for some time. But, uh, you know, at that point that I, when I knew everybody's going to be okay, uh, everybody's replaceable, everybody's going to be okay. Uh, I knew it was time and the opportunity for me was the right opportunity. And how did, how did the opportunity come along? Was it through your network or were you working with recruiters? It was through my network. Uh, it was actually through a friend who was exiting the role and she said, uh, mm. I'm going to give them your, I'm going to give them your name to call you, to call you, to recruit you. And I said, no, don't, I'm staying. I'm not leaving. I'm staying. And, um, she said, no, I'm going to call, I'm, I'm going to have them call you. And, uh, so they called and uh, I, I met with a recruiter, I met with a team, I met with a CFO. And that, like I said, it just, I knew it was the right time and it was the right opportunity for me. So, uh, oh, this is great. This is great. I love this. I love these stories. <laughs> I love your story so much. And so, because, you know, in the span of this conversation, right, we've gone from you, individual contributor to manager. And when we're at manager, we see the director, we want to get to that director role. And then once you get mm -hmm. to the director, when you are in this, in this climb mode, you want to get to that VP. But sometimes when yeah. you walk in that door and you get what you wanted, it's, <laughs> it's a whole different ball game. And I want to try and help people understand like, what is that like when you, okay, you had the senior director role, you had a team in place, you, you walked out the door with, with confidence that they could deliver what you had been running there. Then you walk into this VP role. What were your expectations? And then what was it? What was it like? I don't really know what my, that I had certain expectations. You know, I felt like I was going to be part of the the really smart group in school and, uh, you know, that <laughs> upper echelon of, you know, the, the valedictorians of the class, I was going to be sitting with them. And um, I felt very much like when I left Seagate in that um, individual contributor role and I moved over to Splunk to start something completely new and 
I thought, what am I doing here? And uh, those feelings of intimidation and inadequacies mm. and all of those things started to, you know, roll back and, yes. and you hear those little voices in your head that you're not as mm. smart as all of these people, you know? And um, yeah. so, you know, I sat for a bit in the beginning and listened. That has always served me well to just kind of listen and, and observe. Uh, and then I started realizing I am bringing something to this group that no one else has and as is each one of these other individuals. So it's not that anybody is smarter than the rest, but we know our space and we're bringing something unique to the table. And we yes. were hired, I was hired for a purpose and for a reason and to be a leader, not just within my own team, but within this whole organization and within this leadership team as well. I have a responsibility to to lead here amongst these other leaders, just like I do amongst my team. So that was kind of this transition. And ironically, as I was as I was exiting Zendesk um, just six months ago, and the person that was coming in to to take my role was someone that worked for me. And he said, I, you know, I'll never be I'll never be as good as you. And I don't know what it's like to be a VP. And I said, Four years ago, when I took this job, I didn't know what it was like to be a VP. And I said, you don't have to know. You will figure it out. Mm. And, uh, you know, you just continue on this journey of growing. And, you know, I think sometimes that's what gets people to the to that executive level is that desire to continue to grow, to continue to lead. And again, when I say lead, I don't mean just within your own team, but lead at the company and, uh, you know, lead other organizations as well. It's so important for people to understand that when you do make major breakthroughs in your career and you get to these aspirational levels that we all have had, and we've, we've gone mm -hmm. to manager, director, senior director, VP, some of those voices come back and they come back very strong of mm -hmm. I'm not good enough, or I'm not the smartest person in the room. And we have to expect that. And I know for myself, and I think for you as well, like it was peer groups that got me through. It was having yeah. other people at my level at the same companies or, or levels above me or below me that, you know, I could have conversations with and, and share some of these feelings. And they're like, you, you have this and being able to get that out. And I just want to share that our, our experience together you know, yours and mine, I think, you know, parallel and combined has always been that we need to surround ourselves with other like-minded people to help us get through these growth stages and spurts. And that's what's going to allow us to settle into the role, find our footing, and then ultimately find success. And, and it's not going to be a blueprint because the world that we operate in technology, always changing. The rules are always going to change what i have found is we are all just people and you know my insecurities may show up different than somebody else's but everybody has them and uh you know just realizing that we're all we're all people uh nobody's perfect nobody we will never always be the smartest one in the room and we've got so much to learn i think that's what that's what what gives me a lot of just a lot of comfort and a lot of um courage in continuing to grow and to take on new challenges. Right. And now you've moved on from Zendesk and now you're at Qualtrics mm -hmm. operating in, yes. in the same role and continuing to grow yes. at a brand new company. 
Yep. Well, we're current on your history. And so I always love getting the origin story, walking through that. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I really want to double click on a couple of things that, you know, some career tactics that you use that have, have really helped solidify this and where you're actually looking at areas of growth. So we're going to be right back right after this. All right, we are back here with Rindy Miller, Vice President of Procurement at Qualtrics. And I want to spend some time like talking about what are skills, what are techniques to build what many would consider a non-traditional career in technology. And so for yourself, knowing you and having been in the room like with negotiations, high dollars, high stakes negotiations down to the wire, you're very skilled at what you do. But what we just learned is you literally walked in the door going, how does this whole thing work? So talk to us of how did you really learn and grow in your skills to develop this level of expertise that allows you to negotiate multi-year, multi-million dollar contracts that have large impacts to companies? Well, the first thing that I would say is anyone that has children, you have a masterclass in negotiation because those little buggers are like the absolute best negotiators I've ever, I've ever seen. And uh, so that is, that is the first place that I got, you know, this negotiation uh, crash course. And Christopher, you talked about the, the life experiences and the, even the work experiences that we had prior to getting into tech that, you know, we really like drawn on. And there, there have been so many things that I didn't even realize have played into you know where I am today the the building the entrepreneurial spirit you know and and loving that that um, opportunity to build something from nothing or even to take something where it is and build it into something even bigger and greater so you know all of those have have really helped in continuing on in my skill development I guess if you will but I think one of the things that has helped me certainly practice. Uh, certainly putting yourself into difficult situations and continuing to do things and learning from them. Networking has been my absolute go-to for everything. If it's something that I don't, I'm not quite sure of uh, how to, either how to negotiate or what what's the best deal, I'll go to tap into my network and, you know, ask them, you know, what's been your experience in this area? Or I don't know quite how I should build this program out. Go ask somebody. There's always somebody who has done it or before me, and uh, I can go and, and chat with them and, and find out what worked for them, what didn't work. So that has really been my absolute golden ticket to <laughs> where I am today. Um, I have learned from others. I ask a lot of questions. I'm curious, and I want to know, and I want to understand I have not, I have my degree, but I've never went and got specific um, procurement or strategic sourcing uh, certifications or anything like that. I've taken, you know, a few negotiation classes, but really it has been just learning from doing and learning from others is really how I, I feel like I have developed and honed my skills over the years. And I want to spend a few minutes here because you came into procurement with no network. So what were some of the steps that you took to start building that network? Was it, 
you know, in, in the, the larger manufacturing company at first, you know, keeping in connection with them, was it, uh, formal networking groups? How did you start building that network? Yeah, I didn't have a, a big network when I was in the manufacturing space, uh, to be honest, it was pretty closed, you know, kind of, you know, we did, we all just had each other. We didn't like go out. I, I think it's a little different in the tech space. And, and what I have found over the years, procurement as an industry is extremely open to um, nurturing other people, bringing them in, you know, yeah. helping them grow, helping them develop uh, in their careers and in their skills. So the way that has kind of organically happened is during my time at Splunk, I was told about this networking group that I, in the Bay Area that I thought, oh, I need to join this. I need to join this group. And um, they, they wouldn't allow me in. It was kind of friendly and they wouldn't allow me in because at the time, Splunk was not a billion dollar company. And so they really wanted, you know, only practitioners from large like companies to be part of this group. So I thought to myself, well, maybe I should just start something of my own because certainly I can't be the only one who was not invited to the cool kids group <laughs> and lunch table, right? And so uh, I started talking, um, actually I was talking to one of our vendors at Splunk and they said, I think you should start something. I think this would be, would be a brilliant idea. And so they kind of connected me with a couple of people and we connected, you know, them with a couple more people and we formed this kind of core group that uh, we then started saying, let's let's host, you know, a big networking event. Mm. And that's all it's going to be is just networking. And so, you know, we put the word out and we had probably, I think, in that first our first meeting at Splunk, we had close to 100 people wow. uh, that came in. And uh, yeah, and that was that was kind of the birth of Silicon Valley sourcing leaders. And then we we would rotate. But really, all it was was just people coming in and uh, talking to each other. And, you know, we would do a little panel and people would ask us questions or, you know, things like this. But leaders from all over the Bay Area, that has been just so, so beneficial to me and to so many other people I know as well um, in either getting new jobs or like I said, learning, what are you doing in this space or what what technology are you using for procurement or what am I missing? So things like that. And it's kind of exciting because this group has actually spread to Utah and to Chicago and to New York. And there's a new one going to um, start up in Las Vegas as well. So uh, now that COVID is, has, you know, Know, allowed us to meet together again. It's just, you know, I, like I said, I think the power of networking uh, really can't be understated and uh, other people are seeing the value and wanting to start these own own type of groups within their own communities. Yeah, that that is a very impactful story that I think we all need to hear. And the clear message is, if I'm not invited to the party, why don't I start my own? And yes, I think we all believe, oh, everyone's so connected or everybody doesn't need it. But the reality is mm -hmm. we all need to connect. We all need more connections, yeah. right? We're, we're now, I think, post-2020, we're more disconnected than we've ever been. And this 100%. opportunity in peer networking groups were, for myself as well, was a steroid to my career growth. Like it was, mm -hmm. you know, some might consider it illegal. No, it was definitely <laughs> growth because 
in a peer networking group, you get the ability to find people that understand your day to day that you yes. may not always understand yes. the, the management, the, the discipline, there's the idea sharing. And then what we heard from your story before, there's the job story. I mean, the job sharing, mm -hmm. right? You, you got your first VP role because somebody in your network said, you're ready for this. Come on in, take my seat. Yeah. And yep. regardless of what you felt, the opportunity opened and you went in there and you took it. And so yeah. creating this networking group and now think about this multiplier impact of being able to, to scale this. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you learn a lot. You, you obviously talk to a lot of people. Let's, let's talk for a little bit. You know, one of the things that we like to talk about on this podcast as well is also, you know, not just the career, but also the money, right? So I want to talk about what was it like for you negotiating some of these compensation packages, right? You're a sourcer, you're a negotiator. So what were some of the tactics and things that you used to get the best compensation on the table? I figure, you know, you're a negotiator. Let's lean into this. Yeah. Well, I will, if there's anybody that is in procurement that is listening to this podcast, I will tell you that your last interview test basically is how well you negotiate for yourself. So I've always thought about that. And I've always thought if I don't negotiate and if I don't negotiate hard for myself, how am I going to negotiate for the company? And they want to know, uh, whoever's hiring me wants to know that I'm going to go hard and, uh, you know, I'm going to stick to my guns, you know, in terms of, of what I want and, and what's reasonable. And so I make sure I do not fail on that last interview test. <laughs> so, you know, I think just like in any, any negotiations, whether it's the new car that you want to buy or the house that you want to buy or, uh, or the new job, or if you are in a procurement practitioner and you are negotiating a deal, you always want to ask for more than, um, than what you think you're going to get, because I will always tell you that you will never get what you don't ask for. So ask mm. for the world and, uh, you know, put it all out there. What are all the things that are reasonable for you to ask for? And, um, most likely you're not going to get everything, but you're probably going to get more than than you thought and you're definitely not going to get it if you don't ask for it so um that's my first piece of advice is always to ask for ask for everything that you want the second thing i think is do your do your homework and do yes. you know if you're asking for something that's completely you know out of line with your role or uh whatever it might be that you're negotiating right for. your level or or understanding yes. stock bands or whatever then you, yes. you're in outer space then it's like you can't yes. negotiate with somebody who's way no. outside the bounds yeah no and that one that doesn't doesn't look good on your credibility either right. uh you want to they want to know that you've done your homework you know what you're talking about you're being reasonable um but you're also being aggressive and don't be afraid to be aggressive and again Sometimes I think it's harder to negotiate for yourself than it is for me to go and negotiate um, on behalf of my company, but no one will negotiate better for you than you. And uh, so you are the only one that has that opportunity to do that. And no one, no one is going to give you more than you deserve or more than you're, more than you're worth. So make sure that you are going out and asking for that. Know your value. Oh, you just nailed it. I mean, cause that's one of the things that uh, I really try and educate other technology employees about is like, 
you have to be able to articulate your own value. If you don't tell your own story and you don't, and again, not talking about in the what, what you did. And this is where I know you, like you're going in and you're saying, here's the result I delivered for the company. I saved, mm -hmm. I created a program that over years saved this many millions of dollars. That's hard bottom line dollars that I can bring that value to you. And yep. other people need to think, what is that company result? What is that company goal that they're moving the needle on and being able to articulate how they can do it? Even if it is at a individual contributor level, being able mm -hmm. to connect those dots is so, so, so important. Yes. So you obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of your career and everything that you've done and the way that like I have seen you work some miracles, like 11th hour saving millions of dollars. And it's, <laughs> it's amazing. And you know, you're, you know, a woman in Silicon Valley, like what has that experience been like for you? Because I don't know that perspective and I've seen you just as a, as, as an incredible power broker, but share with us, what's that been like? You know, my personal experience has been largely all positive. I think in my, in the early days of my career in manufacturing and, and, and this just was still kind of back in you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, procurement was still very male dominated. Mm. And it was very um, kind of like really grind your suppliers into the ground and get as much as you possibly could from them to where they walked away not feeling good at all. Mm. Um, so it was it was a little challenging then because that is just not who I am as a person. Um, not just as a woman, but as a person, right. I'm just not going to, you know, make someone feel so, so badly about themselves, you know, that they just go here, take it for free. I don't e I don't even deserve to be paid for this. <laughs> um, so that was, that was never my style. So that was a little difficult just uh, navigating in that space. But overall, I often am the only woman in the room and I kind of like, I'll notice it but I don't feel any less than, and I feel like I have gotten to the place of earning that respect of other people, um, be that man or woman uh, in the workplace. And, uh, and some of that has just been, it doesn't, not just because of my role or my title, but I think because of how I have carried myself and uh, how I've always been respectful to others. So I do feel like I've been fortunate. I have not, I know there's a lot of stories out there of women who have been, you know, really, really mistreated and, you know, paid very inequitably uh, compared to their male counterparts. I fortunately have not, have not experienced that. But I do believe that all of us need to show up and need to be our genuine selves and, um, I have also been fortunate to have some male mentors that uh, I, I think too seldom women think they only need to, they, they should only um, seek out female mentors because they will know how to get them to, to the next level. But I think that it's really important to also get a man's perspective of that in the workplace as well. And I think it's good for men to, to mentor women as well to get their perspective of things. So. I like that. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's, you know, this whole concept of, of being allies of helping each other. And I think that, yes. uh, creates, uh, a great environment of, of partnership. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, we, we have covered a lot and I, I really think, um, you know, just sort of recapping this, this half of the show is I think, you know, the, the peer networking is so, so, so important. And I think that's a critical skill and leaning into that network to get educated Mm -hmm. is, is something that you really articulated. And then I love the advice of being able to negotiate for yourself and understanding your value and understanding, and the other thing I heard from that conversation too was understanding what the philosophy, the focus of the compensation structure is, because mm-hmm. that's what ultimately you're doing as a procurement professional is you understand, okay, how is this company pricing their product? Where do they see the value? I now have this rare and valuable object that I'm now negotiating for the best deal possible, which in that scenario is you. You want to then get the best deal on the table. And yes. then I like what you what you ended with, where, you know, I do think that there should be mutual mentorship between, you know, men and women and uh, in the workplace to help each other advance. I think it's great. Yeah. So now yeah. we're going to get into the fire round. Okay. Ask some questions. We're going to end up where this is where you're just going to drop just these amazing pieces of, of knowledge on everyone. I'm excited. So... <laughs> Question number one, what was the worst career advice you ever had? You're too nice to be a good procurement person. Mm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was told that. I've never changed who I am. And uh, no, I, well. and I, I can actually <laughs> attest to that, that you with a smile on your face will just say, no, thank you. Not good enough. And yes, I've seen you get with a smile on your face and a great attitude to get great deals done. And it's baffling. I think it's a phenomenal technique because people think there always has to be like a scowl or something. No, you deliver the answer mm-hmm. with kindness. So how do you keep learning in your role? I've already kind of covered this, but it's networking. Hands down, it's networking. It's asking questions. It's learning from others. And when I don't know something, I'll go find somebody who does know it. It's how I learn. I'm not I enjoy reading a good novel, but give me a business book and I'm like, oh, I can't stay awake. So I like networking. I like talking to people. Excellent. And so what do you do to recharge? We work so hard. How do you recharge the batteries? Uh, That hands down spending time with my family. And even if it's chaotic and there's like, (laughs) they're all here and it's loud and, and the house is a mess. It is what fills up my cup. And, uh, I love it. It recharges me. I love to cook. I want to cook for everybody and I love to get away and travel too. So that's that's what, that's what charges my batteries. So what advice would you give to your younger self working in tech? My advice for my younger self is you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Not only won't you always 100% of the time be the smartest person, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Mm. And don't be afraid to share your knowledge and your opinions because they do matter and you're smarter than you think. That's what I would tell myself. Oh, that's great. That's great. And then what's, what's the best investment of time that you've ever made? My best investment of time is investing in people and really caring about them, making them feel like they are valued. And and that is not just to my team or my coworkers. It's also my manager. It's also the suppliers that I work with, you know, kind of getting back to 
you know, being too nice to be a procurement person, everyone deserves respect and everyone deserves to be valued. And, you know, I think investing in people just goes so far, um, personally and professionally. That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Randy. I know that you're, you're super busy with everything you have going on, but we appreciate you. And I thank you for sharing your, taking your time to share your knowledge with others and your story. Thank you so much. It's just been an honor to be here with you, Christopher, and, and reminisce on old times a little bit and just get to have the honor of sharing my story. So thank you. You're very welcome. And thank you to everybody for listening in. Remember, we are a new podcast, so I would ask you to do three things. Number one is if you like, please follow our podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, you name it. Number two, please leave us a five-star review and a comment. We would love to hear from you. And then tell other people, right? We are here to help technology employees answer the tough questions around career and money. We all had to figure it out, but now I want this forum to tell other stories so that you can learn from what we've done and carve your own path. Thank you very much.